Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. You can also catch us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. It's uh, 410, 36 degrees and cloudy. I'm honored again to bring on my next guest, Commander Kirk Leopold, U.S. Navy retired, was the commanding officer of the USS Cole when it came under attack in the Port of Aden by al-Qaeda terrorists on October 12, 2000. He's the author of the book Front Burner, Al-Qaeda's Attack on the USS Cole, 1981 United States Naval Academy graduate, Naval Postgraduate School, also graduate of the United States Army Command and General Staff College and the Joint Forces Staff College. Commander Arlie Burke, class destroyer of the USS Cole, and uh, is here to give us his, his expert opinion on what's going on in the Red Sea. Commander, thanks for joining the Rob O'Donnell Show today. Thank you, Rob. Pleasure to be on again. So, uh, you know, a lot's happened since we last talked. In the past just over a month, um, the USS Kearney is attacked by four, well, interdicts with 14 attack drones. We have the USS Laboon and F-18s on 1226. 1228, we have the USS Mason with multiple ballistic missiles interdicted. And uh, most recently, 1230, the USS Gravely uh, with two anti-ship ballistic missiles, which they're saying was directed at their ship, and uh, UH-60s from both their boat and uh, the Ike, uh, you know, with fast attack boats in the area. Give us a rundown of what's going on here. I think what you're actually seeing, first and foremost, is clearly these Navy ships and their crews are very well trained. They've been given the rules of engagement necessary to make sure that no threat can attack either them or the civilian ships, maritime ships they're trying to protect and that the positioning of the Navy in that region, in the Red Sea, the Strait of Babel, Mandeb, and the Gulf of Aden, clearly is showing promise that we can keep these vessels safe. Now, that said, here's the real problem, Rob. The United States and the Biden administration is not solving the problem. They are solving the symptom. We are shooting down drones that cost anywhere from three to $5,000 with one with 2.1 million dollar missiles and in the case of the anti-ballistic missiles upwards of five million dollars financially we can't support it and we're not targeting either the sites where these missiles are coming from and the drones are being launched from nor are we going after the root cause of this instability which is iran and at some point we are going to have to take positive action to deter them and prevent them from doing these kinds of attacks I, I I thank you for bringing up how good these crews have been work have been doing under this type of circumstance. And I just want to note, especially when it comes to the USS Kearney, and I'm sure the rest uh, are sure to follow, is uh, Naval Forces Central Command Commander Vice Admiral Brad Cooper awarded uh, two Navy Commendation Medals, four Navy Achievement Medals, and the entire crew, the Combat Action River, and included the Bronze Star for the skipper of that boat. So it is being recognized that these these guys and girls, uh, these sailors out there, are doing God's work when they're, they're assigned to the ships and are on point with their mission. I hope so. The only thing I hope is that the uh, Navy allowed that Bronze Star to be with the Combat V for valor because they were, in fact, under attack. So I'm just keeping my fingers crossed on that front. But I will tell you right now, the problem we're having, Rob, is that the international coalition that the Biden administration put together is not functioning as it was envisioned. I mean, here you have a secretary of defense who was a central command commander and 
when you look at it, he should understand the threat and how to stop it, having lived in that region, having been in that region, and worked with all the major military leaders of almost every country that's over there. And yet here we're proving ourselves almost inept and weak that we're still willing to have these shot at us. What I fear more than anything, Rob, is that while these crews have been successful, the odds run against you. And eventually, if you see a missile get through, the last thing this nation needs is a photo op at Dover Air Force Base bringing back flag-draped coffins because the Biden administration is not being proactive in stopping the threat. They're only reacting to it, and I fear for the lives of our sailors. As, as do we all, as we do all, Commander. Um, on 1230, the USF Gravely, not only did they interdict two anti-ship ballistic missiles that, by reports that I'm getting ev- uh, via most news outlets, were tar- was targeting that ship, they also launched their UH-60 from the Gravely to combat three, uh, four fast boats that were attacking container ships in that area. Run us through what goes on. You're, you're the skipper of an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer. You're taking incoming missiles. You're launching 60s. Uh, you know, Walk us through what that entails. I think what they'll do is the first thing is you will set general quarters to make sure that your ship is, has the best watertight integrity that you have the best people in the best positions to be able to fight that ship effectively. Depending on how long the battle goes, you may have to step down to condition two to allow for watch rotations, people to eat, to make normal routine, you know, bathroom breaks and things like that, head calls as we as we refer to them. But at the end of the day, they have to be up on edge to do this. They will launch that helo. It is fully armed. Everyone at this point in those crews, especially the helo crews that are now going to go and get a little bit closer and be a little bit, you know, in in harm's way, have to make sure that they know and understand the rules of engagement. Everybody, the ships, the helos, they have an inherent right of self-defense. So it may be that they have to be shot at before they can react. I think that's a little behind given what's going on. But when they go to engage these boats, they should be able to take them under fire and eliminate the threat. A recent one that's going to come up that's going to challenge the ROE, Iran has deployed a patrol boat. It has anti-ship missiles on it. Well, guess what? This generation of young naval officers is now going to get an opportunity to do what we did in my day against the Soviet Union. You run a constant targeting solution. You know where that ship is at all times, and you monitor it to make sure it doesn't indicate any hostile intent or even worse, a hostile act like shooting at you. And if it does those things, you have the ROE in place, if not ask for them, to be able to take that vessel out before it can even get a shot off. And just the mere fact that the targets that we have done, which, let's be honest, a lot of them have been empty tents in the middle of the desert. You know, we, we did have a couple of strikes where personnel were taken out, that are the people responsible, the Houthi rebels. But we all know who's pulling the strings here, the Iranian government. You know, back in, after the 1993 Marine Barracks attack, President Reagan said acts of terrorism are an act of war. And in 1988, Operation Praying Mantis sunk half Iran's functioning Navy in response to the mining of the USS Samuel B. Roberts. Is this administration, do they have the fortitude to send the message, stop firing on our sailors? Well, it's not only the administration, Rob, to which I have my doubts, but I look at the senior military leadership today. I mean, look at Secretary Austin. 
he's one of these classic four stars that have been out there that they got promoted because nothing went wrong during their command tours. In other words, they were risk averse and by nothing happening and by not leaning forward, they never really defined themselves by doing things in a very proactive manner. So they're playing it safe now. And clearly, as a four-star politician, he is playing it safe in how we're reacting over there. And that's what, that's what I'm concerned with more than anything else. These young men and women deserve to have leaders that know how to function under combat conditions and do what is necessary to defend the United States and our national security interests around the world. And we are in a period of strategic danger. While Russia, China, and Iran are not coordinating their efforts, they're certainly synchronizing their activities in a manner that undermines our national security across the board. And if we don't start answering them, we're going to be in trouble. In the case of Iran, I would make the argument we don't need to go from doing nothing to kinetic and start shooting. Why aren't sanctions being put in place? Why don't we recognize that the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action or Iran Nuclear Agreement, that JCPOA, is dead? If it's dead, put all the sanctions in place that we had beforehand and make Iran immediately start to feel the squeeze economically. And then let's start inspecting vessels. Every vessel leaving Iran, we're going to inspect for illegal arms or any kind of terrorist activity. And one of the most simplest things that I'm 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 astounded hasn't been done is the Biden administration declassified the Houthi rebels as a terrorist organization. Why hasn't that been instituted back? Why hasn't there been an immediate statement that saying, you know, we're denouncing these attacks? I mean, how many attacks do we need? We're talking about almost a half dozen now with dozens of incoming missiles. Uh, Rob, I'll tell you exactly why. Because the Biden administration is nothing more than a shadow government for what was the Obama administration, and they are desperate. You have so many people that became intellectually and emotionally invested in the Iran nuclear agreement that they will do anything to try it, see it get passed. Taking the Houthis off of that terror watch list, that was a favor to Iran to express good faith on the part of Americans that we can trust you, that you will do the right thing. And look what it got us. It got us October 7th, and it has Iran now working in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, and Yemen, now targeting U.S. forces. And we've just been darn lucky that we haven't had any of our people killed. But I tell you, as long as Iran continues to do this and we do nothing proactive in return, eventually it is going to cost us in American lives. Well said. And we all know China, with their intentions with Taiwan, are strongly watching this, seeing dozens upon dozens of one-way attack drones, anti-ship ballistic missiles, land cruise missiles being fired at us with, with little to no response. Absolutely. Look at the parallels between Iran and how they have essentially encircled the entire Middle East with proxy groups. Take a look at China what they have done in projecting power out in those illegal under international law, those militarized islands, what are referred to as the, the dash nine line or the nine dash line that goes all those militarized islands projecting power into the South China Sea, they're going to begin to do the same thing. They're going to begin to disrupt maritime traffic. They're going to use those islands to project, to project power and harass shipping. 
And while the, while the navies of the world, including the United States, gets distracted, they'll move on Taiwan. This is a roadmap for how to do things. And that's what I don't believe the Biden administration or even the Republicans truly appreciate how that represents a strategic danger. They militarized those islands, and the United States, through multiple administrations, Republican and Democrat, have done essentially nothing. If you want a world-based rule, a rules-based world order, if you want people to have international law that is respected and followed, then you have to act when people disobey it. And China needs to be held to account, and we won't do it because we're afraid of the economic impact. Again, I'm speaking with Commander Kirk Leopold, U.S. Navy retired, was the commanding officer of the USS Cole when it came under attack. Uh, you have the book Front Burner, Al-Qaeda's Attack on the USS Cole. Uh, where, can, where can listeners get that book, book to read about y- y- your leadership and what it happened that day? Well, thank you for that plug, Rob. The best place is actually Amazon.com and just type in Front Burner Book, and it comes up, and uh, I very much appreciate it. The only thing that they will find a little bit scary about that book is that when I was attacked, there was no response by the Clinton administration who walked out of office doing nothing, no response by the Bush administration who took an attitude of we're forward-looking, not not backward-acting. And 11 months after I was attacked and 17 of my brave sailors died and 37 were wounded, the United States had no response to the attack on USS Cole. That attack should be informing the Biden administration, not giving them an excuse to do nothing. Well, I ran into a building just about a year later because of that lack of response, so I appreciate everything you did and the sacrifice your crew made that day. Commander, thanks for joining the Rob O'Donnell Show. Uh, I look forward to having you back on again. Thank you. Always an honor honor to be on, Rob. Happy New Year to all your listeners, and uh, keep faith and keep supporting those who choose to serve our great nation. Amen, amen. Thank you, Commander. Yes, sir. It's uh, 424 here at WILK. Time for traffic and weather. And thank you, Rob. This traffic update is brought to you by Bentella Data Internet. It's still just a little backed up on 84 westbound near the exit to Promised Land State Park due to a multi-vehicle crash. We have no reports of any accidents on 81 from the New York border to Hazleton. That is looking pretty good. 476, the PA Turnpike seems clear. It is bumper to bumper on William Street in Pittston, Blakely Street in Dunmore, and North Kaiser Avenue in Scranton. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. This afternoon, a mix of clouds and sun, high around 40. Tonight, cold front arrives, breezy and cooler with flurries. Flurries! Low 30. Edward. Yeah. Thursday, morning snow showers with flurries followed by a gusty northwest wind, high 36. Thursday night, clearing skies, breezy and frigid, low 20. Whoa. Friday, mostly sunny and cold, high 36. Saturday, snow showers arrive, heavy at times in the afternoon, high 37. Sunday, snow tapers off in the afternoon, high 37. It's currently 36 degrees and cloudies here at 425 at your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 409 here in northeast Pennsylvania, 29 degrees and most... uh, mostly sunny outside as the sun uh, is about to set. Uh, I'm honored to bring on my next guest, Captain Kevin Miller, U.S. Navy retired, 
Retired Navy Captain Miller is a third-generation naval officer. He graduated from the University of Mississippi and was designated a naval aviator in August of 1983. In his career, he flew the A-7E Corse Air II and F-A-18C Hornet, deploying overseas six times throughout the 1980s and 90s aboard the aircraft carriers Nimitz, Dwight D. Eisenhower, George Washington, Theodore Roosevelt, and Enterprise. He finished his career in the Pentagon, serving on the staff of the Secretary of the Navy, retiring in 2005. Earned a Master's of Science in Business Management from Florida State University and a Master of National Security Policy and Strategic Studies from the Naval War College. During his military career, he accumulated over 3,600 flight hours and 1,000 carrier landings from the decks of 11 aircraft carriers. His personal decorations include the Bronze Star, the Air Medal with a Combat V, and two Strike fight, Flight Air Medals. Captain Miller, thanks for joining us on the Rob O'Donnell Show today. Hey, thanks, Rob. Great to be with you again. I, I didn't mention also the best-selling author of the Raven One Trilogy. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But right now, let's talk about air operations in the, in the Middle East, the Red Sea specifically, the Mediterranean. We had two carrier strike groups there, um, the USS Ford and the USS Eisenhower. Is, is that unusual for this type of uh, for action over there? It, it is unusual in recent years. Uh, we have had an aircraft carrier in the Mediterranean uh, uh, ever since uh, Russia moved into uh, Ukraine, uh, but now with the uh, the, the unrest in uh, in Israel and the Middle East, uh, we have uh, we, we kept Ford on uh, on an extended deployment, extended her another two months to have a uh, carrier in the region, while Eisenhower made her her normal uh, scheduled deployment. Uh, but Eisenhower now is uh, is in the Red Sea or the Gulf of Aden. Uh, in the vicinity of Yemen, and uh, is uh, doing great work down there. Yeah, put us in, uh, especially, you know, with the Ford there extended, being extended, I mean, I believe they were supposed to do a six- or eight-month tour, and it was extended to two or four more months, I'm not sure, and, and then the Eisenhower there. Put us in a, in a squadron-ready room. What are these pilots doing day-to-day? Uh, and we'll, we'll get to the air-to-air uh, kills in, in a moment, but what's, what's their daily routine with, with this area being a hostile environment? It's a great question, and in, in my career, every day was different. Uh, the, the flight schedule, you might fly uh, once a day and, and once at night or maybe twice in the day and or maybe twice at night, and it's, it's different every day. But what they're doing is uh, uh, they are looking at the, the, uh, the area, the region. Are there any potential targets that they may have to strike? Uh, they so they are they are looking at that they are studying their procedures studying the weapons that they would be expected to use uh, the the enemy order of battle and so uh, in the case of uh, Dwight D Eisenhower now is in the vicinity of Yemen uh, and, and the Houthi rebels and there's uh, there's uh, hostile actions there so they are uh, they are looking at that and uh, they're they're ready for for any tasking tasking can come down from above and in a matter of hours. The, uh, the air wing and strike group can react to that. All right. Well, which brings us to this, this recent uh, incident um, where there were air-to-air kills by F-18 Super Hornets for the first time since 2017. Uh, you know, I believe that was on, on going into New Year's Eve, uh, 1230 from uh, 
from the F-18 squadrons that are on patrol there. Now, they're up. They're patrolling. They're obviously armed. They're ready to go. Um, you, you can't tell when missiles are going to get fired or these uh, drones, attack drones, one-way attack drones, anti-ship ballistic missiles or land cruise missiles. Uh, so they have to be at the ready, I guess, at any time and prepared to, to take action. That's correct. And they could have been airborne on patrol. They could have been on a combat air patrol station. Uh, they could have been on deck and, and alert status and, uh, and given the word to go. And, and within a matter of minutes, they're, they're, they're shot off the front end, catapulted, uh, and, and they'll, they'll race to the, to the scene of action. Uh, there is, uh, but, but typically, uh, uh, carriers, when they're at sea, they run cycles. And a number of day and a number of night cycles. And these, these, uh, these periods are roughly an hour and a half, plus or minus. And a bunch of airplanes will take off, and they'll they'll patrol and, and do their missions. They will come back, and uh, before they land, another dozen or so airplanes will take off and and, and take over, if you will, and and, and do their missions. Um, it and it changes every day. That that is the freedom of naval power. These ships can go anywhere in the world uh, outside a 12-mile limit from from any country and uh, as a former cno once said uh, no permission slip is required and uh, these ships are there to to um, deter they are also uh, able to project power as required and everyone knows this our enemies are uh, take pause and our our friends are, are hardened by it and with this type of incoming barrage, uh, one-way attack drones, which from from my understanding and speaking to Commander Kirk Leopold yesterday, are very inexpensive munitions as far as our, our enemies shooting at us goes, uh, anti-ship ballistic missiles and land cruise missiles. Uh, without giving, uh, of course, any sensitive information, what kind of, of response would an F-18 have to uh, something coming at them or another ship such as that? Robbie had a, a, a superb interview with uh, my shipmate Kirk Lipholz yesterday. Uh, very well done. Great questions, and, and he had superb answers as always. Uh, the, uh, the 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 weapons that the FA-18 has, and, and first of all, it's the FA-18 E and F Super Hornet, uh, multi-role fighter. It, it, there are four squadrons aboard Dwight D. Eisenhower. They uh, in the air-to-air -air role, they're going to carry the uh, AIM-9. Sidewinder, the uh, AIM-120 AMRAM, that's Advanced Medium Range Air-to-Air -air Missile. So the Sidewinder is a heat-seeking missile typically used in a visual environment where you can you can see uh, the, the target. A, uh, the radar-guided missile is typically uh, beyond visual range, so you see it on your radar. You can't see it with your naked eye, but uh, the, the, the missile is able to, uh, to prosecute the target. Um, and also a, a gun. 20 millimeter cannon in the nose, and that's obviously for uh, for very close in. Um, we do not know yet uh, what type of weapon was used, but certainly the, the right one was. And uh, the, uh, the 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 pilots are, are there to um, they're going to answer the tasking. That they'll get uh, relayed to the E2 Hawkeye. Um, that is uh, doing the command and control. It's it's uh, essentially an airborne early warning aircraft that the carrier launches. Uh, the, the quarterback of the air wing, if you will. Um, and then there's also the helicopters that, uh, that Dwight D. Eisenhower carries, and it carries two types, the MH-60 Romeo and MH-60 Sierra. Uh, the, the other day, 
from uh, USS Gravely and uh, and Ike uh, Romeo's uh, were able to engage the the Houthi uh, boats that came out to harass shipping in in, uh, in the Strait of Bab El Mandeb. The uh, um, the Houthis uh, fired on on the Americans, and uh, that uh, that triggered the uh, the ROE response. The Americans were able to uh, fire back, and uh, they used the the Hellfire guided. It's a laser guided missile. The uh, the, the missile goes off, and uh, and the air crew uh, in the cockpit is to uh, keep a laser on the uh, on the target, and then they were able to uh, hit and destroy three of the four boats. Uh, the Romeos were, the, um, the and the Yemenis have reported that and reported the, the loss of life. Another helicopter, a, a MH60 Sierra from Dwight D. Eisenhower, was uh, entering the scene as the fourth boat left. So that means that uh, the rules of engagement to engage were were uh, were not met. You know, the other boat is fleeing, so you're not gonna you're not gonna attack that. It is impressive to see the the level of training to. Uh, you know, this isn't something that you get a lot of training to do, but uh, it, it is it is part of it. In scenarios like this, the helicopter crews prosecuting those those boats with, with those weapons, very well done. The discipline, uh, not to break ROE, and that's not a surprise to me, but I think it it, it might be a, a surprise to, to many that uh, hey, you see something, let's let's go get it. No, you you were going to adhere to that that uh, rules of engagement. So uh, professionalism all the way around by the, uh, the the air wing team. Yeah, and you you bring up a good point in showing on twelve sixteen the USS Kearney was engaged. On twelve twenty six you had the USS Laboon and F eighteens engaged. On twelve twenty eight you had the USS Mason engaged, and on the thirtieth we had the the Gravely engaged with UH sixties from UH sixties from both the carrier group and the Gravely. Now, from the 1216 incident, it's good to see that CENTCOM Navy Force Commander Vice Admiral Brad Cooper uh, went to the ship and gave uh, two Navy Commendation Medals, uh, four Navy Achievement Medals, and gave the crew the Combat Action Ribbon and the Skipper a Bronze Star. Um, now, we know these things take time, and that was the first one again on 1216. Hopefully, the USS Laboon, these F-18 pilots, the Mason and the Gravely, and the UH-60 pilots uh, get the same kind of recognition from CENTCOM leadership. I have no doubt they will, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned those surface combatants. Uh, th this this is unprecedented action for a uh, uh, a combatant like uh, Carney to engage a uh, a uh, an anti ship ballistic missile like this that never happened before in history. So again, you get training in in, in simulation, and and, uh, and and I'm not really sure what what type of live fire training that these ships get pre deployment. But uh, they have engaged all these targets coming at them, and, and various targets. And there's these these high-end ballistic missiles, and there's the I, I would say the lower-end drones that are coming at them, and, and handling all. And it's uh, uh, it's again the the Americans uh, make it look easy. Uh, I assure you that is born out of out of years of training, and and this training takes money. To, to get the, the human beings uh, up on the step like that and, of course, the, the equipment that they are operating to do that. We have our, our Navy is, uh, is around the world, uh, quite capable, but spread quite thin.
It is indeed. I'm speaking with Captain Kevin Miller, U.S. Navy retired, who's the former skipper of EFA 105, the Gunslingers. Uh, Captain, can you hang on past the break? I want to talk about the USS Ford being replaced with the USS Baton and, and, and your trilogy of books, especially Fight Fight. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 426, 29 degrees, and mostly sunny out there. Uh, we're back with Captain Kevin Miller, retired Navy captain, former skipper of EFA 105 Gunslingers, and the best selling author of the trilogy, Raven One. Captain, thanks for sticking with us. You bet, Rob. Uh, so the USS Ford is headed back to port, and we have the USS Baton, an LDH uh, that's in the area. What do we gain? What do we lose? Is this a seamless transition? I mean, I know the LDHs, the USS Baton, some of them know them as mini-aircraft carriers, but they I don't believe they have a catapult system. You know, they do have attack helicopters, UH-60s, the tilt rotor Ospreys, F-35Bs, and I believe they still have Harriers. I'm not sure on that. But is, is there a smooth transition? Do we gain anything? Do we lose anything? They are different. Uh, uh, the Baton is not an aircraft carrier. It's a... Uh, uh, characterized as an amphibious assault ship, but it's a quite capable ship with that Marine air wing, as you described. So, uh, again, Marine Corps and Coast Guard, all, all part of naval aviation. Uh, those, uh, so the Baton does have some tactical air power in the form of, of Harriers or F-35 Lightnings, whatever it's carrying. Um, but it does not have the, uh, the, the punch of an aircraft carrier with the, the Super Hornets with the early warning E-2, the airborne electronic attack of the EA-18G Growler and, and those, uh, those multi-mission helicopters, the, the Romeos and Sierras. Uh, so they, they are different. Now, uh, you know, our, our ships, they, they deploy on a cycle, and, and you got to send the ships back. The human beings have to get back, and, and ships also need maintenance. So th this is not unusual. Ford was extended two months, and, and now she's going to go home. Uh, she'll get some work done, and she'll be back later this year uh, on another scheduled deployment. Um, but in the, in the MED, we have Baton that has a capability, and it has a capability that, uh, that Ford and Ike do not have to, uh, to evacuate uh, American citizens if required. And that could be an uh, you know, evacuation that's, that's uh, under fire and then go in there with, with those aircraft, the, those, those big Ospreys, and take a bunch of people while they're being covered by the other uh, uh, attack helicopters and, and, the, uh, and the attack aircraft. Um, if an aircraft carrier is needed in the mid, or if uh, an amphibious assault ship is needed in the Red Sea or uh, Indian Ocean, the ships can move, and they can go through the Suez Canal. It's roughly a thousand miles from uh, one end of the Red Sea to another. It's going to take a couple days, uh, and going through the canal. And I've been there. I've been through that probably a dozen times in my career, and that's that's a that's a day long experience. But it can be done, and uh, and, and our ships are moved like that all the time. And, and they're they're free to do it, if uh, and and so that's you know the, the the commanders in the region have options and they they can uh, uh, use them as required. And, and it brings up uh, one one of the things that I spoke yesterday with Commander Leopold is about um, the fact that China is watching this. Now, in, in your best-selling trilogy of Raven One. In the third book, Fight, Fight, uh, you get into the, the, the South China Sea and what's going on now. And, and as, I, as I was preparing for today's interview, I saw that the U.S. Navy's carrier strike group one with the U.S.'s Carl Vincent is in with the, um, doing drills with the Philippines right now in the South China Sea. Yes. Uh, the, the, 
the um, People's Republic of China about 10 years ago started building islands on top of reefs. You know, these are these are pristine reefs. They're, they're underwater. Maybe you have a rock sticking up. But uh, they, they pour dredge sand and, and have made islands now with, with runways and capability and thousands of people living on them. And, and these are uh, – this is a military uh, uh, capability that they have. I mean, and these, these islands – are 700 miles away from mainland China, and and so they just they just say that it's ours, and and uh, the international community does does not believe that's the case, and so the United States has has been doing this for decades since, really the the entirety of the Cold War, certainly after the Korean War, just just having regular deployments all over the world, and and running our our ships through there, and this is freedom of navigation, and again we are going to. Um, Help our our friends in the area, and any anyone that wishes us will is is going to see us, and they're going to think twice about starting something. But in my novel, fight fight, uh, a spark happens, and uh, in in human history, sparks often you know lead to conflagrations. Well, World War One is an example, and uh, so in in my novel, a spark happens in in the South China Sea, and then it goes from there. So I just uh, I, I imagined how. Uh, both belligerents in this case and in my fictional novel would react to that. And and what I like to do with my novels, I like to write the human story of the the men and women that are on the tip of the spear, that are that are in the ready rooms and and on the the, the ship's bridges. You know, what is it like for them? And they are you know being directed from Washington or, or elsewhere. But uh, the the human story is what I like to tell. And you definitely put the person right in the cockpit, you know, as a, as a as a parent of a naval aviator. And my naval aviator himself said you absolutely put the person there. And and I don't know if you're just clairvoyant with your books or just a darn good writer, but you know, I, I'm just about finishing up Declared Hostile now, your second book, which talks about you know the Caribbean and South America, narcotics trafficking and such like that. And then no sooner than I'm almost finishing the book, Venezuela is threatening to take over Guyana and parts of the area, parts of its waterways. And uh, now you have fight, fight, and you have the things going on in the South China Sea. It's just, uh, where can people get your book so they can get uh, get in the same cockpit that you've put me in? Sure. Uh, they can go to Amazon and, uh, and type in Raven One, and it'll come up. Uh, uh, and also on my website, Kevin Miller Author. Uh, those, those are two ways to get it. And Captain Kevin Miller, I appreciate you joining us and giving your insight today on this. Again, I implore all my listeners, go out and check out the Raven One Trilogy. Kevin Miller, thank you for uh, giving us all the information that you've given us. Hey, thank you, Rob. Great to be with you as always. Thank you, my friend. Have a great day.